welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. Hi everyone, thank you so much for deciding to spend some time with me today. I have a really exciting guest, Deb McNaughton, on the podcast today. So she originally was a primary school teacher and unexpectedly kind of became an artist. And I know that sounds bizarre, but it really is kind of a funny story. So I'm going to hand it over to Deb to tell you that story in just a moment. But I would like to touch on my week. It is the beginning of week eight. And last week, week seven, I was just really struggling. I did my neck, you know, by doing God knows what I, I don't know if it was the kids or carrying things to class. And I was tired. I felt like my, I was in quite a, kind of a brain fog. And I put up a, you know, a poll on Instagram asking how you guys are feeling. And I got so many people responding that they just were so exhausted. Their body felt like it was falling apart. They were going to bed early. And so if you need a little bit of permission, I certainly did to take care of yourself, take a step back, book that appointment that you've been avoiding that will help you and make you feel better about yourself. Go and do that because holidays are just around the corner. But before that, I'm sure like me, you've got some kind of parent teacher interviews or reporting or big assessment. And so it is getting to the pointy end of term one and yeah, the kind of lead up is over. We're into it. And term two for me is always a tough one because it just hits the ground running straight away. You've got the big reporting going on and it's just a tough term. I find term two, it's just really a lot of work and just a lot of energy. So if you need some permission to take care of yourself, make sure that you do that. I love this conversation with Deb because it's the idea that we just really don't know how our lives are going to unfold sometimes. And some of the skills that you develop in one job actually allow you to thrive in a job that you never expected to have. And she speaks really well about that. And in terms of lifelong learner, I mean, she's had to teach herself socials and business. And I just think she's incredibly savvy and smart and not necessarily the kind of smart that would have been assessed at school. And I think that that's really important to note that she is highly successful and clever because she had so many skills that allowed her to persevere and redefine what failure was for herself. And I just think that this is a really important conversation to show the fact that missteps are not bad and being brave and taking a risk can really pay off. And I think that sometimes in society we are quite risk averse. And so I just think this is a great message. If you don't know who she is, make sure that you jump onto her Instagram page and enjoy it. It's such a visual spectacular, her page, and she's just incredible. And if you like this episode, please share it on social media with me at Educating Laura and Deb at Deck McNaughton. Like and subscribe to the show. And write me a review if you like. I always love seeing the reviews when they pop up and give it five stars if you're enjoying the show. And here is Deb. Hello, Deb. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I've been so excited. I actually booked this in with you 
sometime in 2020. And I've been really excited for this conversation. Now we're in 2021 to have it. Yes, me too. I'd love to start by asking you about some of your educational experiences. Okay, so um, all of my educational experiences have been positive, right back from when I was in primary school. I, I loved being in primary school. I really enjoyed high school. High school was when I kind of came out of my shell a little bit more and became a bit more who I am today. Mm. I then went on to love uni even more, uh, certainly the social mm. side of it, yeah. and obviously went on to teach and absolutely loved teaching. I thought that was what I was going to do for the rest of my career, my life, and things didn't turn out that way, which we'll get onto later. But yeah, nothing yeah. but positive experiences. So I think I'm very lucky. What did you do at university? What was the course that you completed? So it's a funny one. I didn't get, I wanted to be a teacher and I didn't get straight into teaching out of year 12. But being the determined person I am, I know mm. that there's other ways of getting into teaching. So that was when I took on a fine art degree. Mm-hmm. I always loved art during high school. I've always been a creative kind of person. So I thought, I'll do fine art. That will be fun. And then after after that, I'll do a dip ed and become a teacher, yeah. which is exactly what I did. So it was just a roundabout yeah. kind of way of getting into teaching. I didn't necessarily want to be an art teacher, but I just needed that stepping stone to get into teaching. And why did you want to become a teacher? Why was that always the end goal for you? My family is full of teachers. Mm-hmm. We've got, uh, at the moment, off the top of my head, I think there's maybe five teachers still going, maybe six, a couple of principals in there as well. So I just think my grandma was a teacher and it's just, it's always been considered a very good job. I love children, have always been very good with children. Um, I was sort of the oldest amongst all of my cousins Mm. and, you know, I think the parents loved me taking care of all the kids and I just had that teacher in me from word go and yeah there was never really any other option so it was just that was what I was going to do and And I did it and it was primary not secondary primary yeah secondary is like so daunting for me I can't even imagine being a secondary teacher just knowing the kind of students well the student that I was and the students that I went to school with in high school Mm. that's just a different level like no no (laughs) that gives me anxiety just thinking about it you just know don't you you know that you either cut out for one or the other and there's very very few people that I've seen transition between the two successfully because you just cut out for one or the other and it's so funny talking to high school teachers or secondary school teachers and they can't imagine being a primary school teacher and they're like oh I don't know how you do that like it's like oh I don't know how you do that with teenagers (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And was there a particular teacher that made a really big impression on you or one that you wanted to emulate? There really was. Yes. So I was lucky enough to have Mr. Howard. (laughs) I don't know if I'm allowed to say, I'm sure I can say his name. I was lucky to have Mr. Howard twice and he, oh, he just had so much enthusiasm and he made learning fun. Ultimately, that's, that's the the broad answer, the, sorry, the brief answer, he just made learning fun. And for me as a student, that was what worked for me. If it was fun, mm-hmm. then it was easy and enjoyable. And he was funny and, you know, he, he had enthusiasm and energy. And, yeah, in the end, 
he was the type of teacher I wanted to be and that I strived mm-hmm. to be once I became a teacher. And did you have him in primary school? Yes, yeah, twice. So I can't remember, mm. I think it was grade two and grade five or something like that. But I just adored him. And funnily enough, when I ended up becoming a teacher, he was still teaching and yeah. we taught at the same school together for a little while, which oh. was just crazy. It was so and he expected me to call him by his first name and I just couldn't do it. It's always going to be Mr. Howard. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that you just never can, as a student, see that teacher as a real human. There's always no. going to be that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's very funny. I think he might even still be um, doing a little bit of relief teaching these days as well. Oh, wow. Mm. What would you say to someone considering becoming a teacher? Uh, I would say it's a huge commitment. Mm. and that with dedication comes reward. Mm. I personally loved seeing the growth that you would see in each child in the space of one year. I found that absolutely incredible and they sort of come to you wide-eyed and ready to learn and then it was like having all your own little ducklings and then at the end of that yeah. year you give them their wings and off they fly. Like there was, it was so beautiful seeing how much they mm. learned within the space of one year and physically grew as well, like literally mm. in front of your eyes. And you look back at yes. photos from the start of the year and they're cute and tiny and then, you know, I, don't, I, I loved that. That was very, very rewarding. So, yeah, my advice, don't underestimate the workload and you need to be fully committed and prepared for what's ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have a particular year that you like to teach or that you seem to teach the most I taught every year level except prep and okay and initially I started in the younger years so I started in grade one and absolutely loved it and I thought oh this is where I want to be forever mm. and then soon after I was put in grade six and actually cried the day I found it because that's like way too close oh. to high school but yeah, like, yeah. oh no I was so daunted and ended up absolutely loving grade six and the relationships I formed with my grade six students mm. I think it was just different that you could sort of have that once you had their respect you could have that banter and a bit of a joke yeah. with them and um, things didn't go straight over their heads like it does with the little ones yes. so yeah I enjoyed all of them but I would probably say that grade six was my favorite in the end and do you think that was because you were so surprised or um, I think there's just a difference between the younger ones being cute and, you know, wanting to mm. hug your legs when you're reading them a story. And that's all very lovely. But that's the re- secondary teachers go, how do you do that? <laughs> exactly. You have to make sure your legs are safe. That's what you have to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, the yeah, the grade sixes, I think, I don't know, it was just something about the relationships I had with them and also their parents. And some of them I'm still in touch with, which just kind of goes to show that deeper level of teacher's yes. I don't know. Yeah, it's lovely. For me as a teacher, those lasting relationships once they leave the school is just so, so special. Yeah. And to be invited in to be part of their life as yeah. well is something you can't explain. It's no, so lovely. It is really lovely. And um, one of the things I prided myself on was we expect them to give us so much of themselves and to tell us what they did on the weekend and you know all of these the private kind of conversations about their pets and this and that and I kind of made a commitment that if they're going to give us that information then I would share an equal amount of myself so I would often be telling them about my dog and 
what I did on the weekend with my boyfriend at the time, obviously now married and kids later, and they loved it. Their eyes would be so wide because you're letting them in. And Mm. I think, yeah, some teachers keep that very separate and that's fine, but I found it was actually quite a beautiful relationship to, to let them in. When did you learn that? Because I think you and I are a similar age. The teachers that I had were very, very separate from Mm, me in mm. general. There was a real teacher-student relationship constantly. And when you go to university, there's always this keeper boundary. Yeah. And I understand all of that, especially at high school. It's very important. Mm. But I agree with you that that element of humanity and being human actually shifts everything in a room. So when did you learn that giving something of yourself actually made you a better teacher? I'm not sure if I necessarily learned it or if it's more to do with my personality. Like I think I'm a bit of an Mm. oversharer as it is (laughs) and I'm definitely a storyteller and I don't know, I just, it's just always in me. If if they're going to, if I expect them to share with me, then it's only fair to share with them as well. And, you know, sometimes I would have my sister-in-law show up and she'd play a game of what's the time Mr. Wolf or as I said, my, my boyfriend at the time would bring my dog in to meet them all. And the joy on their faces of, wow, she's actually got a life outside of school. Yes. They're just blown away by it. So, yeah, I, I'm yes. not sure if I learnt that or if it was just my approach from word go, but I know that it worked. Yeah, it does work. It does work from every yeah. from every experience I've ever had and every person that I speak to in teaching, that moment that they see that you're human, it really does yep. shift everything. Yes. So what, are you, what were you really passionate about as a teacher in the classroom? Fun. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the really, really short answer. I, as I said before, um, Mr. Howard was my role model. And, and if, I, if that was the way I learnt, by having fun and learning at the same time, then that was kind of my model and, and what I used with my students. And, you know, it's actually not hard to make a simple activity really fun. Mm. It's just a matter of how you approach it and how you deliver it. And that was what I was passionate about. And I think if you spoke to any of my past students, I'd like to think they would say, oh, she was a really fun teacher. So how do you make things that are not typically fun, fun? (laughs) Well, that's a broad question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You can give me a specific example if you like. Oh, gosh. I I guess if I'm thinking about actually teaching a lesson on the white bo- on the whiteboard and you know you're standard, yeah. standing up there writing on the board again just relating it back to real life or it, giving them an example that they can relate to and understand you know when it comes to maths for example or just bringing it back to real life and keeping it real yeah and just i guess yeah. keeping them part of the conversation rather than lecturing them Definitely, definitely, definitely. And letting them take control a little bit as well. And, you know, that was some of the best lessons when you just let it go, whichever mm. direction it's going to go in. And I'm sure you'd agree with that. Sometimes Absolutely. it's mind-blowing. You lose the plot altogether, but you have such different learning experiences as a result. Yes, and investment. The investment is yeah. completely different. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So you're t- I'm hearing lots of storytelling, keeping the learning relevant, making the kids be a part of the lesson, allowing conversation to flow, those kinds of Mm -hmm. things that allow investment and student agency, I suppose, in the classroom. Yeah, and giving and allowing them to have their voice as well, not just the old school, 
I'm the teacher, you're the students, I talk, you listen. Like we're past yeah. all that. Yeah, I totally agree. Are you finding that now you've got two boys? They're both at primary school, aren't they, now? Mm-hmm. Grade one and grade two. Are you? F- oh, God, that's – you must be busy. <laughs> I've got 24 yeah. months between my kids and I'm like, oh, gosh, that must be even a shorter age. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'll use that um, word. <laughs> at least you pass nappies. I feel that's something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go with that. <laughs> Are you finding that that's the way that teachers are teaching more so now in the, in the primary school system with your kids in there? Oh, I think so. Unfortunately, I haven't had a lot to do with it because obviously last year with COVID, yeah. my youngest, that was his year of prep. So it was a bit, oh, of, a okay. dud, bit of a dud year, to be honest. Yeah. It was interesting doing the homeschooling with the boys and obviously receiving what I was given from the teachers and teaching it myself gave insight as to what they're learning and the way that they do it to an extent. But yeah. we're not allowed in the classrooms at the moment, not even for reading and things like that, which is so sad. I understand that it's sad. So I, I don't know. I think I'm probably quite out of touch with how things are now. I haven't taught since 2012. So I'm sure things have changed a lot just in that time. I think the philosophy that you're saying, though, sounds pretty long-standing, though. I hope so. Yeah, I think it does. Mm. Considering that your passion was art, how much art yeah. infiltrated your room? Uh, look, the room was always colourful and I enjoyed decorating it and, again, trying to make it as interesting as possible. But, I, again, I, I wasn't necessarily arty. I just... Mm. I literally did that art course to get into teaching and yeah. then I know I know how things have turned out but it was not <laughs> planned. Yeah. I guess yeah, I guess if I, if I compared my classroom to others it was certainly more colorful but we didn't necessarily do more art than any anybody else. They, the kids yeah. would go off to art once a week and that was the art teacher's job like I I just You're right. Of, yeah, yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> Let's talk about What's happened? Because we keep alluding to the fact that you're no longer teaching. You obviously have some kind of natural affinity or talent for art. Let's talk about the transition from primary school teacher mm-hmm. to now full-time artist. Okay. So I taught for seven years and loved teaching and honestly thought I would do it forever. And then I fell pregnant with my first child. and. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I built our family home. So we moved into this big, beautiful new home. I had, by this stage, two children now. Mm-hmm. And I was at home all day, every day, with two babies that would sleep at the same time. And I was sitting there twiddling my fingers, bored. I'm one yep. of those people that can't sit still. I can't do daytime TV. Everything was clean and tidy. So I was like, I need a hobby of some sort. Yep. So I was stuck in this big beautiful white house with all white walls and we needed some color and Mm -hmm. we obviously spent all our money on the house so we couldn't afford artwork and I just kind of thought look I was just I'm capable of whipping something up for the time being yeah so I went out and purchased the biggest canvas I could find yeah and took it outside on the grass and literally just let loose on it yeah and it happened to look really cool it was a complete (laughs) fluke Okay. And it was very abstract, like literally splats of paint here and there and everywhere and lots of texture and it was like a beautiful turquoise kind of colour. Anyway, we popped it up on the wall 
and I posted a photo of it on Facebook, mm. which is on my private Facebook, just saying, oh, you know, look what I created, quite proud of myself. Yeah. And family and friends just went crazy for it, saying, oh, my gosh, we're moving house soon. Can you do one for our new house? Wow. Or, um, wow, would you do something like that for our bedroom and things like that? And, of course, I was like, yeah, of course I can. Like, this is fun. This is mm. something to do. So I started doing that for family and friends and for you know, a very, very low price because it was nothing more than something to do. Yes. And I think the turning point was when I had a phone call from somebody that I didn't know mm. and they had seen one of my paintings in a friend's house or something like that and they wanted to commission me to do something for them. And that was the first time I thought, wow, this is this could be something more, it, yes. you know. And my husband was the one that said, why don't you start a, a Facebook page or an Instagram page and just yes. see what comes of it. And that was the beginning of the end or the end of the beginning. I don't know, a bit of both probably. How long between that first painting and that call yep. from someone else who you didn't know wanting to commission things? Uh, maybe like four or five months or something wow. like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I kept just kind of dabbling a little bit here and there and I was enjoying it. It was something, you know, when you have children, you give them everything yeah. and you definitely lose that time for yourself. Mm. And I, I found it therapeutic and it was something that was just for me, you know, that wasn't cleaning or folding washing or doing preparing dinner. It was something enjoyable for me. Yes, I totally um, And I could do it when the boys slept. So, yeah, I just did that. And then things, as soon as social media came into play, it just took off and then we found ourselves emptying out the back shed and turning it into a studio. Wow. And then, uh, I'm not sure how far into it, but we ended up sitting down and doing some figures because any money that I was making during this period of time was considered a bonus because yes. I was just at home on maternity leave anyway from yeah. teaching. We did some number crunching and kind of figured out that this is going really well and I had to make the decision of, do I pursue the art thing mm. or do I return to teaching once the boys are at the age that we agreed on? And the art just spoke for itself, to be honest. It was yeah. a bit of a no-brainer. Okay. And here I am and I've resigned and never looked back. But you're not just doing the canvas painting. Talk to me about all no. the things you are doing. I mean, your art is now – I mean, I purchased one of your picnic rugs for Christmas, right? Your art is – usable and tell me about everything that you are actually doing and how you got into that well it started obviously just with the art and then not long into um, starting my Instagram and everything Mm. like that I got contacted by a company in New York and they wanted to have a contract arrangement where basically I would provide them with images and then they have those images printed onto anything from cushions to doona covers to shower curtains to clocks you know you name it dog beds anything and so that was my first kind of really big oh my gosh I've been noticed by New York someone in New York has seen me and I was very excited about that and you know had a lawyer look over the contract and everything because I'm like this is too good to be true like I'm just a little old me in Aspendale and I think that was when it kind yeah. of gave me the idea that art doesn't just have to be on the canvas and 
I started going about bringing out my first range of cushions and then after that came tea towels and then after that came dresses and you know I every I'm still like if you can put my artwork on it let's do it like I it just just this last week I'm I've gone about getting my art onto like nail wraps and nail decals. I saw that on your Instagram. So, that looks amazing. I'm really excited. It's with a company in America once again, but I'm really excited about them because I, I used to love nail art myself. I used to sit there with gel pens and actually do the little designs myself. And now, hopefully, it's as simple as just flipping them on and bang, there you go. And I saw too, you've got like ones for backgrounds and watches and things too, and you've got your own filters on Instagram as well, haven't you? Yes, yes. Um, How does that happen? The, the watch, uh, it's so funny. I just, I'm like, if you can put it there, then let's do it. I got a Garmin watch for myself and I figured out you could have a photograph as the background. And initially I had a picture of my boys on my watch. Mm. And then it was annoying though, because the, um, the actual time and the date and everything was right across their faces. Yeah. So I was like, I just need something like pretty and colorful. Oh, I'll just upload one of my designs. And then I thought, well, why not offer that to everybody else? And I couldn't possibly charge for it. Like that's just something that you can just go to my website and get for free because it's just fun. It's just little and, and silly and fun. So, yeah, and then the things like the filters, I'm always up for a challenge. And I had seen that, you know, some celebrities and influencers were releasing their own filters. And I'm like, well, I can do that. So, I Googled it. I watched YouTube clips. That was actually during lockdown. I followed the tutorials on what to do and I just did it. You made your own one. I thought you were going to tell me that you outsourced it. You actually made your own filter. I'm, yeah, I made it. Yeah. Oh, got, yeah, that's amazing. I've got three. Yeah, it's, just, it's actually not hard. You just I literally followed the tutorial on YouTube. And, yeah, it took me a little while. I'm not going to lie. Um, but... <laughs> Once you've done one, it's pretty easy and they're just fun. It's just a fun, quirky way of, you know, getting your branding out there as well. Do you think that the fact that something that you had little, like really low stakes in, the fact mm-hmm. that it's become what it's become has made you more brave in general? I think so, yeah, because when I did the fine art course at Ballarat Uni, not only did I have no intentions of becoming an artist, but I didn't think it was possible to be an artist and have an income because it was just Mm -hmm. that, you know, everyone's heard about the starving artist. And it was also pre-social media. So Mm. social media has been a game changer for artists, well, for a lot of people, obviously, but for artists, Instagram in particular is such a visual platform. And Mm. when you're an artist, it's all about visual. So for us, it's worked, worked out really well and it's, given a whole lot of people an opportunity to be seen that may not have otherwise been seen. So it started with Facebook, did it? Having an actual... Yeah, I started with Facebook. Mm. Yeah. And then soon after, I went on to Instagram. And then out of the two, I just find that Instagram is more for me. Mm. I like it more. I spend more time on Instagram than Facebook personally. Mm. Uh, Again, because I'm a really visual person. And there's certain things that catch my eye and certain colours that get my attention. So I'm just sort of drawn to that a little bit more. But definitely my my time and energy goes into Instagram more. And as a result, my Instagram account has taken off more than my Facebook account has. I found I was really resistant to Instagram because I didn't really see the point 
of it. And I only went on similar thing. Like I was at home, my CRT had dried up and I'm like, I need to get some tutoring or something. And anyone who wants a tutor will not be on Facebook anymore. They'll be on Instagram. Only reason mm-hmm. I started it up. And yeah. it's so much more for me, the way I see it, it's so much more about connection and you're seeing what people are doing rather than looking yes. at someone's life. It, that just seems to yes. be much more what it's for. And so I can understand why business-wise it's geared to what you're doing yeah. as well. I agree. And also the, the stories, is you know, yeah. people feel like they can connect with you and interact with you more than Facebook, I think, as well. Yeah, I totally agree. What has the strategy been for you? using social media or has there been a strategy or it's just this is me I'm going to do it as authentically as I feel yeah probably the second one I've never really gone into it with a strategy Mm. I guess the strategy was to make my feed look pretty so that if someone came to my feed for whatever reason they'd want to stay I think that's the trick like it's one thing to for people to have a look and then flick off and never see you ever again but it's another thing to get their attention enough for them to scroll and look and go, oh, I really like this, I'm going to follow, and then potentially that could lead to business. Obviously, it doesn't always, but it could. Yeah. And then the feedback that I get from people is they like that I'm a real person because yeah. I am. Yeah, We all are, but it comes back to that style of teaching as well, Like yes. especially when it comes to my stories. I share glimpses of my family and the things that we do on the weekends and I share a lot of my dog and <laughs> I share to her, emotions. <laughs> Thank you. It is her birthday today. <laughs> but I share emotions. Like I don't think I've ever like literally cried to the, to the camera, but I remember the first day of my youngest starting prep and I came home and I spoke to my phone and I just was like, I think I'm meant to be happy, but I'm not. And, you know, there's a whole lot of mums out there that are celebrating the champagne and they're excited. And I'm feeling like it's the first time in, you know, six years, seven years that I've been alone. And mm. and, I, and people have the most beautiful response from people because they could relate to that. You know, it's, it's human. I'm a human. Yeah. And I think too, the fact that you you make art accessible like I I know that over Christmas you had those beautiful jars that smell like Christmas and I asked you I'm like can you please send that to me and I think you put a post up as well the fact that it's not just about being relatable as a human but also as an artist you allow people to take your art for themselves as well and I think that that's really important actually yeah I do like sharing (laughs) even just yesterday for example I went to an acupuncturist and I sat in the car and said, you know, I'm about to go into an acupuncturist for the first time. I'm hoping this goes well, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, I'll give you guys an update once I come out. And mm. when I came out, I did an update. And so many people were like, oh, my gosh, can I have her details? She sounds amazing. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not an influencer. And this woman wasn't paying me to tell everybody I had a good experience. But I am a big believer that if, if you have a good experience, then share it. And, you know, mm. if I go somewhere with my family on the weekend and we see a beautiful view, I'll tell everyone, you've got to go to this place and see this view. Like I just like sharing and I feel like I have such amazing experiences in my life that other people should be exposed to them as well and have the opportunity to to see and do those things. So I like sharing, you know, other small businesses and places to go and see and do and, and supporting other people the same way that people support me. 
There's two things I want to say. The first thing is I love the fact that you do, you caught my attention mention, I think it is. Yes. And I love that. I love that. It's just that really lovely, authentic, generous opportunity to share your platform with other people. And I think that that's really sweet. And I'm sure that they probably get great business from it. Because the next thing, the next thing is, I mean, how many followers do you have, Deb? Uh, A little over 30,000. So when do you become an influencer? Because as far as I'm I'm concerned, having a platform of 30,000 would make you surely influential. Well, I guess it's funny because I certainly wouldn't consider myself an influencer and I would never like label that as part of what I do. But there's been certain things where I guess I am influencing people naturally, like just by telling them my opinion on something or by wearing a pair of earrings from a, you know, a small business that I love and then people see them and go, I want them. Well, that's influencing, isn't it? So, yeah, I guess it's kind of happening a little bit more and more and I have had people ask me if I will promote their business or their latest product or whatever it is and my answer is if I believe in it and I genuinely love it, then I will happily promote it. But if it's not the right fit, then I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not going to be promoting the next pair of really skimpy bike shorts because that's just not me and I don't wear them. But if it's something I believe in and it's a small business and someone giving it a really good shot and I like the person and, and, you know, then I'm all for it because I didn't get where I am without people giving me opportunities. So what goes around comes around. I love that mentality. And so, and I mean, I guess it also creates that authentic connection with your followers too, because they know that whatever you say to them is something that you truly believe you use it or you believe that their money is worth going to that place. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to think so. I hope people don't see me as, you know, some sort of influencer that's being paid to sell people's products because it's, it's really not that at all. It's, it's just me share again sharing things that I believe in and that I love so they can take it or leave it and make their own decisions but yeah I just think it's great they've got something to share then why not and I think that's the beautiful part about social media I'm so on the fence with it with social media I can see that there's Mm. some really really negative parts of it but Mm -hmm. my experience with Instagram but I'm also in my 30s getting on Instagram Mm. and an educator who knows that I have to have very clear boundaries So for me, it's always been really positive. I mean, everybody that Mm. I've connected with on there has wanted to support, lift up, benefit other people. So, but I'm not on there sharing my personal life in great detail either. So I don't know. And I think even yourself, even though you are sharing parts of your personal life, it is through a, a lens that you're prepared to share, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. And there is still a line. Mm of what I choose to share and and how much there's definitely still a line Mm. and also I'm very aware that my audience is so diverse yeah and that I know for a fact I've got ex-students who follow me and will comment on my posts and you know sometimes I've posted or sorry stories in particular when I've had a few drinks with a girlfriend and all of a sudden I'm <laughs> smashing out a Whitney Houston song on stories and I wake up early the next morning and quickly delete that one because I get a bit excited. But, yeah, there's there's definitely a line, you know, you're never going to see me swearing or, you know, yes. going crazy. It's just, it's, well, it's not in my nature anyway, but 
yeah, there's definitely a line to keep there. Yes, I would agree. But I do love hearing the fact that all of your attention mentions and everything are from that really pure place. I think that's really nice yeah. that people can hear that from you too. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm, I, I want to continue that. And the feedback I've had from people is, oh, my gosh, thanks so much, Deb. I never would have found this account and now I'm following. And, and that's really great. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think mm. that you are, from what I see too, just that real supporter of the underdog, the person that has a vision or somebody who doesn't have a lot of means but has a lot of passion. And I think yeah. that I see you particularly really supporting those people. I think that's great. Yeah, and we all start somewhere, don't we? We do. You know, when they become famous in Hollywood, they can remember me. <laughs> Speaking of which, I mentioned this to you before before we started recording. I know that the name Jamie Jury has come up in regards to you. And I would so love to hear this story because I've only heard literally the fact that he liked your stuff or something. So I want to know the whole story, please. <laughs> So, um, again, it was very, very early on in the business and not long after I got contacted by the company in New York, I also got contacted by a company right here in Melbourne, which at the time was called United something. It's changed its name. It's now called United Interiors, but at the mm -hmm. time it was called something else. United Artworks, I think it was. Yeah. Anyway, so they contacted me for a similar kind of arrangement where I would provide them with images. And in return, they would have them printed onto their products and sell them. And then I have a percentage. It's like a royalty arrangement. Anyway, that was all very exciting and lovely that they were right here in Melbourne. And again, it was kind of a more accessible way of people being able to purchase my art if they didn't, if they couldn't afford an original, they could yeah. get it as a canvas print or a, um, a framed print. So anyway, the owner of that business ended up getting in touch with me and saying, I've got something so exciting for you. We've just got Jamie Jury on board and he's going to be releasing his own print collection. Mm -hmm. And we'd love for you to provide some of the images for that print collection. So Jamie wow. Jury obviously didn't do the paintings himself. Yeah. So I think out of the, I think there was 40 prints in his collection and I think I provided maybe 12 of them or something like that. Wow. So there was other yeah. artists as well. But, yeah, I provided 12 of the images and then however many other people did as well. And then there you go, Jamie Jury's got a collection. My name wasn't attached to it or anything oh, like that. Okay. But obviously I got, I got paid for it. Yes. I did get invited to his collection launch, but it was in okay. Sydney and I just, I couldn't, I could, it would have been great to go, but yeah. it was so early on in the business and my boys were so young and it, I just couldn't justify it. But it was a really great collaboration and you know to be able to say Jamie Drew's got a collection but that's my actual artwork yes. was just mind-blowing at the time that was that was a really big deal for me so yeah that was funny <laughs> I never actually met him oh well what started as I've got a lot of white walls in this lovely home <laughs> and a couple of hours yeah. for my kids are sleeping to can you please paint for Jamie Drew's art collection I mean that's a huge step it was yeah right? it was it was a yeah it was probably one of the biggest steps in my business that, like, yeah, it went from nothing to that was a, that was the first time I felt quite smitten with myself. <laughs> and I, I have to say too, you also, I walked past a, it was a theatre 
in uh, the Shelley Burke Theatre. Yes. Yeah. I walk past there and I'm like, that looks like a Deb McNaughton. So you are not just painting on canvases that are transferred into wearable art or functional art. You're also doing like community-based art as well. And I know that yes. you've got something coming up too. You keep referring to some sort of rainbow. Yeah. So can you talk yeah. about that? So the mural at the Shirley Burke Theatre was such a beautiful project. I was contacted by the local council to do that and it was during lockdown. And they wanted something to represent hope and community spirit and something bright and colourful and something that people could walk past on their one-hour walk yes. and make them smile and children could have their photo in front of it and all of that kind of stuff. And it was perfect. It was never going to be permanent. It was just a temporary thing while the theatre was closed. And the feedback from that was, it was amazing. It was such a great thing to be a part of. And then following on from that, I got contacted from the council again saying, we'd love you to submit something for the Bay Trail. So the Bay Trail is a, a track that runs from Seaford all the way to Port Melbourne. Yep. And it's for cyclists, runners, people on pushing prams, kids on scooters, you name it. But they had funding to have some art installations along the way. So when she contacted me, I was kind of like, I don't really know what I'm meant to paint. Like, am I meant <laughs> to be painting the path? Or yeah. is there some sort of wall that you'd like me to do a mural on? You know, and she's like, oh, just be creative and come up with something. And I was like, I don't, I need something to paint. What, what is, you know, the paint yeah. has to go somewhere. Yeah. And anyway, I pretty much decided that it wasn't the project for me because I didn't understand what I was meant to be painting. <laughs> okay. And then <laughs> at 2 a.m., Literally, literally at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night, I woke up and I'm like, I've got it. It's a sculpture. And I've never done a sculpture in my life, but I had this vision. I'm a, I'm a visual person. Mm. This vision of seven separate posts, or let's call them arches, mm -hmm. representing the seven colors of the rainbow mm. and each of them kind of coming over the top of the path but not all the way over so if you imagine a half rainbow yeah and I'm like this is perfect because it's following on the rainbow trail that mm. was worldwide it's a reference to COVID but it's also not necessarily you know it doesn't have to be if you yeah. don't want it to be it cover it ticks so many boxes it's inclusive it's happy it's mm. you know the rainbow has has a lot of symbolic meaning for a lot of different people and different reasons. I just was sitting in bed going, this is this is it. Yes. And I got up, I got out of bed because I couldn't handle, I needed to draw a picture of it. And I contacted her the next day and was like, am I completely off track here or is this, you know, something that you're thinking? And she's like, I love it. It's perfect. Let's, you know, take it from here. And then there's been obviously a very lengthy yes. process involved in getting that approved. Mm. And it's still, actually, the final proposed site has still not definitely been decided. Okay. It's definitely happening, but we don't necessarily know exactly where it's going yet. But it's a very long, lengthy process, but it's going to be amazing. And I actually can't believe that there's going to be a sculpture, a permanent sculpture there mm. that I've done. I'm not physically bending metal. But I was going to ask you, what's the process of the actual sculpture part? Yeah, so I've, I've had to have an engineer draw it all up for okay. me properly and then a company will be doing the, the metal side of things. 
basically it's mm. my idea. Yes, I'm I'm the artist, mm. but I'm not physically making the sculpture. I have to be there when it's being installed and all of that sort of stuff. And mm. actually, you might be interested to know that I have got in touch with three local primary schools and yeah. I wanted to know from them what they consider the seven most important values in our community. And Yes, and? Well, I haven't got all the data yet. I've got it back from one of the schools and I actually asked each of the schools just to perhaps ask their leadership group or their student voice or whatever. I don't know. Each school calls it something different. But yeah. And then, you know, I've provided them with, I think, about 40 values and then once I get all that information back from them, one value is going to be written on each of the posts of the sculpture, which is quite beautiful. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So That's real community investment, isn't it? Yes. And I'm so interested to see what comes out of it, like what they think are mm-hmm. the seven most important values. Because I know for me, when I looked at the list, it was really hard to sort of decide on just seven. You could go on and on. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And it's been really nice to have some, some of the younger generation involved in this as well. So, yeah, that was a long answer. Sorry. No, no, no. I was, I was prompting you the whole way, Deb. That was not all you. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know, though, what were the couple of values that you felt when you're looking at that list that really rung true for you? Okay, so it really depends on which way you look at it. So from the sculpture point mm. of view, if you are wanting it to be related to COVID, which, you know, parts of it is symbolic of what we went through in 2020 and continue to go through Mm. at the moment. I think words come up like freedom and Mm. family. For me, family is, I mean, it's huge in general, but last year in particular, obviously with the homeschooling and I'm one of those crazy people that really enjoyed it and being stuck at home with my kids. I actually... You know, it was the year that they both went off to school and, and there I was crying at the beginning because I missed them. Yeah. So all of a sudden yeah. having them delivered back to me again. So mm. family is definitely 100% in there. I think the word inclusive is very, mm. very important when it comes to community. I haven't necessarily picked my exact seven either, to be honest. I think I'll, yeah. I'll probably be influenced a little bit by the students. It's funny, the word that came to me when we when you said about COVID was that idea of resilience and persistence. That's what came to me straight away. The fact that as a community, that's what we were Mm. to get through the Melbourne COVID experience, which is not the COVID experience for everybody. Exactly. Totally agree. I think that there is this really unifying element of what we all did in Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Mm. It's been interesting to see some of the other states, you know, when they've gone into lockdown for a very short yes. period of time and it's like, don't worry, we know how it feels. We did the long haul. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We, Yeah, and I feel there is there is that part of, I don't know if it's pride or something, but the fact that we all did it and it feels to me like for the greater good, the fact that mm. we did it to ensure that it also didn't spread anywhere else, you know. I just feel, I, I don't know, whether I'm giving us too much credit I don't know but it just I feel like we kind of did the hard yards for the greater good I completely agree and yeah in in a strange way it brought us together and it means it's allowing Mm. us to enjoy our freedoms more now isn't it yeah your my my whole perception has changed after last year completely yeah the next thing I want to ask you is about your art 
process and aesthetic because to me I remember you did a story or something around I think you found your old this makes me look really stalkery because I'm talking about all your stories that I've watched um but I do love your stories about it was something around like you found your old university art work oh yeah yeah and I mean I did not see anything in that book that resembles the kind of work that you do now no tell me about your process your aesthetic what is Mm. what is the Deb McNaughton artwork so I think yeah when I shared that little booklet from my uni work uni was it was so structured and Mm. you know now we're going to draw this life model with charcoal and now we're going to paint this fruit bowl you know you you typically what you expect of university art classes and it was great and I'm sure I learned a lot but funnily enough anything that I produce now is nothing to do with that art course Mm. I actually majored in drawing in at, at art school and now I hardly do any drawing at all so I would say if you wanted me to describe my art now it's oh it's spontaneous so yeah. it's not necessarily planned obviously if it's a, a paid commission the client has you know given me a, a brief and wants something specific but if I'm just painting for me then it depends on my mood it depends on whether the sun's out outside or whether it's pouring with rain it depends on what Spotify playlist I have on and really yeah and I just go with it and I honestly believe that I produce my best work when I just let whatever comes out come out I I truly truly believe that and I want I'm hoping that this year now that I'm officially a full-time artist that I'll get a chance to do more of that because in the past I've had a never-ending commission list which I love and that's my business that's how I make my money but because I've got that never-ending commission list, I never get that time to just do what I want to do. And yes. now that I'll have more time, I'm hoping I can find a really nice balance between the two. But I guess, yeah, if you scroll through my Instagram feed, it's very diverse, but it's also mm. hopefully very obviously mine. I, I hope yeah. that people see it and go, oh, that looks like Deb McNaughton's, even though it could be a completely different look and feel to the image right before it because. Either way, I can guarantee you it's always going to be bright and colourful yeah. and hopefully give off happy vibes. But, yeah, it's, it's very just whatever comes out. The way it seems to me is it's just very, very intuitive. Like wherever your paintbrush wants to go on that canvas and whatever colour suits yeah. you in that moment, that's how it seems to me when I look at your artwork. It just feels like a lot of feelings in the yeah. moment. That's exactly what it is. And oh, And look, sometimes it looks horrible. It's not always beautiful. And there's canvases that I've painted over multiple times until I finally get it right. Like it's, you can have bad days as well. And it's, it's no different to having writer's block or, you know, having a bad day at work. Sometimes I'll wake up and I'll have a studio day planned where I think I'm going to go out there and and do, you know, three paintings in one day. If I'm not feeling it, it's just better not to go out there at all. Like just yeah. don't just work on the website or do something else because if you're not in the right mood, it just does not flow. And you're also doing classes as well. I know you do the pots and mm-hmm. do you do like the kind of watercolory things as well? Is that right? I In the past, I've done alcohol ink workshops. 
Yeah. I haven't booked in any of those this year at the moment, but who knows what will happen. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm focusing on pot painting classes, which people have been waiting for. And yeah. um, I'm also going to be releasing some life drawing classes for kids during the next school holidays. Oh, yeah. But obviously, it's not going to be a, a naked model. Yeah. I've actually organised a beautiful yellow and blue macaw bird. Wow. Yeah, so a bird handler and the bird are going to come to the studio and be in the middle of the of all the kids and they're going to do some warm-up drawings, you know, using charcoal or oil pastels or, you know, a combination of both and then they're going to actually paint the beautiful macaw and then at the end they'll have the opportunity to hold it if they want to. I love that. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm wondering because I know that this is how I would be. How much fear is there around getting it right and doing the perfect job when you have people coming to a class with you? Um, me doing the perfect job? No, of the of your clients. Like if they come and they pay to do an art workshop with you, how much fear is there around like getting started, how to do it, getting it right, all of that kind of thing? Well, I think I, I always sort of say there's no experience necessary for the workshops that I run mm. and I do have that. Luckily, I have the teacher in me, so yeah. I like to think, you know, I, I have that natural teacher instinct and I pride myself on explaining things really well. But there's no right or wrongs when it comes to art and the sooner people learn that and know that, the better because, you know, with the pot painting, for example, I don't demonstrate I want you to paint a pot exactly like this and now you're going to do it. I, we go through quite a process before they even pick up paint and it's all about collecting their own inspiration and they have paper to get their ideas down first and we work up to them being at a comfortable level before they actually put paint on the pot mm. and by the end like it's so beautiful to watch the transition of when they first arrive and you oh, know I've never painted before I just yes. want to let you know that I, and it's like that's fine that's perfect that's actually my perfect client someone who's never painted before so everybody walks out very proud of themselves and hopefully quite inspired to go home and do more. That's the whole idea of it. Whether you've realised it or not, you've broken the fear down, even just the way that you've created that that class and the way that you've encouraged it to be personal and about your inspiration. And I'm assuming you give them some skills or show them something prior to perhaps picking up a paintbrush or what paintbrush to use or what technique could be used. Yeah. But that's the future part yeah, of it. Yeah. It's, to remove, it's to remove that fear, isn't it, really? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think the fact that my studio is in my backyard is also mm. there's an instant element of a relaxed environment. Yeah. You know, I welcome the people, these people into my home to start with. And then we walk through. The, of course, they all meet Brandy on the way in because she's my mascot. <laughs> and and yeah. then there's tea and coffee out there. I just kind of set the mood from word go. I have the oils out there. So it smells nice. I have music playing and mm. it's just it's all about having a good time. There's no pressure. You're not, we're not exhibiting all of these in, you know, the National Art Gallery at the end of the workshop or anything like that. Just have fun with it and, yeah, what's the worst thing that could happen? Do you have a favourite piece of art? Um, I don't think so. No, I've certainly got quite a few favourite artists. No. Yeah. <laughs> Is that weird? I probably yeah. should. I but... don't, oh, no, I don't think you should. I just think it's interesting because I think people that perhaps analyse art would be able to tell mm. me. 
you know, because they'd have that kind of analytical look at it. But I wonder if, yeah, just for the way that your art speaks to me, it's so much about Mm. feeling. I feel like it translates that way. You look at it and there's this, there's something hopeful and joyous and, yeah, very, very intuitive and flexible Mm. and all of that about it. So interesting. I was wondering if you gravitate to a piece of art or whether it's just how you feel. I I'm certainly inspired by the likes of like Kendone. Absolutely love Kendone. Mm-hmm. I love his colours. I love how, like we were saying before, you can look at any Kendone and know that it's a Kendone. Yeah. And I love how yeah. beautifully Australian it is, but it also is very reminds me of the eighties, like growing up in the eighties and you know, but yeah, yeah, but even then there's still not one particular piece of art. And then, you know, I love the work of say Rachel Castle or Rachel Castle and for that I love her playfulness and her use of colour and I'm constantly inspired by everybody and everything but yeah there's not one particular piece of artwork maybe I should try and figure out what it would be I'll know well let me know yeah I'll know when I see it (laughs) maybe I'm yet to see it but again, I just love the fact that nothing is overwhelming for you. It's about taking inspiration rather than being scared of something you can't do. Yeah. I think that's a really important message too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do live by a little bit of a quote, which is a life without risk is a life half lived. And I truly mm. believe that. And, you know, you can't apply it to every single situation. I'm not talking about living on the edge in you know a dangerous situation but I just feel like there's certain opportunities that come our way and for me and this whole art journey if I didn't take that opportunity when it was right there and the timing was perfect and I had the support of my husband I would be teaching right now and I wouldn't necessarily be unhappy but I I certainly wouldn't be doing this so yeah yeah, I'm all about taking risks here and there and enjoying the the outcome This is also another reason I wanted to have you on here because I think that people don't see that this pathway exists or Mm. if it does, it only exists for very privileged people that don't necessarily need money or, you know, they have all the time and and support to do whatever they like. And I had a student, so she just finished year 12 last Uh year and she's already got a song out on Spotify that she's written, produced, et cetera. Wow. Yeah. She's been in some short like little roles in film as well and that's what she wants to do and she was saying that at school it was always but what's the backup this is great that Mm. you want to pursue Mm. this and I think that that's very very you know entrenched in society around these kind of artistic roles that's great yeah you clearly have a talent you're very good at it but what's your backup what would you say Mm. to someone about that considering you are living and in this profession that a lot of people don't see as stable? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I did receive a little bit of that early on as well, like okay. from acquaintances. And uh, I remember someone saying, so let me get this right. You throw paint on a canvas and people pay for it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah they, they kind of, they seem to be, but yeah, there's a little bit more to it than literally throwing paint on. Yes. For me, I think the answer is to just, constantly be ahead of the game which is is actually harder harder than it sounds I'm constantly constantly thinking of new things to come up with and new like we talked about before new products to get my artwork on and 
new workshops that people would be interested in. Like instead of I was just going to do yet another kids pot painting class because that was so fun for them last school holidays. And then I'm like, no, let's take it one step further. Let's get a, a bird in here. Let's get a, you know, a yeah. tropical bright macaw in the studio. I just, yeah, I, I think you you have to keep working hard and striving to be better and improving yourself and changing with the times and keeping up with technology and whatever is the next platform that's going to come out. You have to be open to getting on there and it's never ending it really is and there's so much of this business that I've had to learn and things that have failed but Mm. if I want it to be a success or to continue to be a success I have to continue to evolve because if I just kept doing the same exact same style of art that I was doing at the start that's done now we've all moved on from that people loved it then and then they want something else so you just got to keep bringing out new stuff and changing it up and, and being prepared to step outside that box and, and explore the boundaries, I guess. Mm. What does the word failure mean to you now? Hmm. I would probably straight, my, my instant response is probably to do more with being a mother than anything yeah. else. So okay. Failure is a, is a fear of, being, of failing as a mother. And one of the things I've struggled with the most with this business, particularly up until this year, was finding a balance between the art and mm. being a mum. Both the mm. boys were at home, a couple of days of daycare or kinder here and there, but other than that, they were home. And, you know, I'd, I'd be out in the studio and then I'd have the guilt that I should be spending more time with them and then I'd spend more time with them and have the guilt that I've got a list piling up of clients that are expecting work from me. So for me, I don't know, my failure would be failing my kids and disappointing them, you know, not showing them that you can achieve your goals if you try. And I don't know, that's a really big question. I love the fact that you don't apply it to your career at all. That failure to... No, no. You don't fail in your career. Maybe you take a step back and then you shift your focus or you make it different or you step in a different direction and I think that that's really liberating I understand that I understand the mum guilt I'm 100% Mm. with you on that and you know when Mm. even with you with your kids it's that am I really here sometimes yeah and then feeling bad about that and there's all of that and the fact that time just seems like it goes so fast and you're like did I do enough Mm. with that year did I do enough when they were little I totally get that but I love the fact that failure to you doesn't apply to your job. No, there's definitely been fails. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. But Which is why but, I asked the question because you said there have been failures. Yeah. That's why I wanted to know. And I love the fact that maybe you nev- you've never seen them as being disastrous. Well, I think I see them as a learning experience mm. and not what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> because had I known that this was the direction my life was going to take, I would have done a business course, you know. I feel like a lot of this time on my business has been winging it and asking for support from family on how do I do this and the accounting side of things. Like nobody taught me any of this. This is this wasn't the plan. Mm. So I guess if anything, I I don't think I fail when it comes to the creative side because 
I do believe there's no right or wrong. But yeah, mm. I guess I, I let myself down in other areas just because I'm winging it and I don't know what I'm doing. But I think that's again a perception, isn't it? I'm sure that if we had your boys on here, they would probably say something quite different. Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Your son is quite artistic too, right? Yeah, like he's yeah. quite involved in all of that too. What's what's his medium of choice for art? So my youngest son, Lenny, is so creative in so many different ways and I love it so much. Um, my oldest yeah. is very sport-oriented and loves outside, mm-hmm. kicking the footy, basketball, any kind of ball, you name it, that's what he's doing. But I love that Lenny's creative and we've got something in our house called a busy box, which is just a big crate and it's full of stuff, whether it be pipe cleaners, toilet rolls, you know, yeah. napkins, sequins, it's just full of stuff. And all he wants to do is get out the busy box and make things. So, and not necessarily anything in particular, you know, he's not, he doesn't sort of start by saying, I'm going to make a robot. He just starts creative, creating whatever he's creating. And I love watching that and watching his thought processes. And I also love how proud he is of his creations. He's got this whole shelf in his room full of busy box creations and that's his proud shelf. And, and then as a result, I'm proud mum because yeah. I, I just love that he's got that in him. But on top of that, during lockdown, um, I introduced him to alcohol inks and yeah. he really loved, again, just kind of tinkering and seeing what the different colours do and what happens when they react to the alcohol, what happens if you drip the purple on top of the red and things like that. And he just experiments and plays. But while he's doing that, he creates beautiful artwork and yes. I asked him if he wanted to start a business and, of course, he wanted to. So we got him some business cards and, and now he sells his own artwork and all of the money that he makes goes into his bank account and yeah. that's something for him for when he's older. But it, it's actually it's a beautiful process watching him and I love that I've got one, one creative one. <laughs> but you know that you've modelled that, don't you, Deb? You know that you've modelled that let's give it a go. It doesn't matter what the end point is. It's all about the process. Like that's what you've been doing and that's what he's been watching. Probably without even realising it, yes. And they've both, yeah. I mean, they've been in the studio since babies. I've, I've got beautiful photos of Lenny in particular crawling around the studio in a nappy and now here he is yes. six years old in prep. But, oh, sorry, grade one. But, yeah, they've been there throughout the entire process. So I guess their their subconscious has always been picking up on, on what I do and they show interest and they come out and Lenny will give me feedback on, on he'll be a, a oh, little critic on my work or I like that one but I think it needs a bit more purple. Or, and it's it's lovely. I, I, I sort of take that on to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> Not always. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, they've been heavily involved in it without me necessarily trying to involve them. But when Lenny showed interest during lockdown and sort of taking it to the next step, I pounced on it because I'm like, yes, this is yes. this is what I want. <laughs> I have, yeah. and yeah. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put his Instagram and all his details in the show notes with yours as well if yes, people want to yeah. yeah. yes, see what great. he's doing. Yeah, he's yeah. usually a sellout actually, so I've got to get him working again. Oh, amazing! <laughs> I mean, they are, they are beautiful, but I, I just I think there's so many life lessons that you've exhibited 
in this entire journey, Deb, whether you realise it or not, whether I'm, you feel like I'm pumping your tyres up or not. Okay. It's certainly, it it really is, it's that whole, just give it a go, leap. Yeah. Be proud of yourself and be brave and be courageous and, you know, you just never know, do you? No. Um, And really, what is the worst thing that can happen? If you can ask yourself that question and you can answer it, then, gosh, just give it a shot. Yeah. I'd love to know, Mm. do you still identify yourself as a teacher or educator in any way? I do, particularly with my workshops. Mm. I I mean, I like parents to know that I'm a qualified teacher because they're leaving their children in my hands for a start. Yeah, of but also it's part of my journey and I think I think I was a teacher before I officially became a teacher. It was just it's mm. always been in me. And once a teacher, always a teacher. Yep. And even now my friends I've made sort of new friends since meeting the mums, you know, in the primary school playground and stuff and we've got to know each other and even now it'll be like, Oh, she's got her teacher voice on. Like it, it's really? just naturally Yeah, like it comes out. You know, the mums will be trying to gather all the boys in a group to have a meeting about basketball or something and there's just no control and they're all all over the place. And then along comes teacher voice Deb and I have them lined up in one row like that. Like it's just, yeah, once a teacher, always a teacher, I think. I had somebody on a while ago who now works in industry and has it's been a long, long time since she was a teacher and she said that it took her 10 years since finishing teaching to drop that part of her identity like people would say what do you do and she'd tell them she goes but I used to be a teacher or I'm an ex-teacher do you still Mm. bring that up when people ask ask you about you like is it still part of your you know conversation so I I mean if it's a if it's a short conversation it's I'm an artist yeah but if there's more of a chance to elaborate uh it will be I'm an artist but I didn't plan to be an artist and then kind of go on to tell the story I think I don't know why I necessarily follow up with that because I think for a lot of artists, there's that whole, I don't know, am I really an artist? Like what makes you an artist? I might have done three years at fine art school, but as I said, none of that applies to what I do today. And what's it called? Is it imposter syndrome? I think it's called, Yeah. yeah. And you're questioning, you know, am I good enough to actually call myself an artist? Well, yes, of course you are, and I can answer mm. that question. But there is that little seed of doubt and I guess a fear that you sound a little bit cocky or something. I don't know. There's something yeah. a- about it, whereas if you're a teacher, you're a teacher and you can say that yes. and there's no question about it. But to say I'm an artist, it's like, oh, sounds a bit hoity-toity or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I understand, well, maybe airy-fairy. Like it, it's, well, what does that mean? Like it's yeah. not really quantified maybe yeah if you're an artist yeah I don't think that's there's any truth to it but Mm. I totally understand what you mean by just examining society yeah I get it yeah yeah and I think uh it took a few years before I Mm. I think I actually did an Instagram post about it and I was like my name is Deb McNaughton and I am an artist and and then I was like there I said it I officially said it you know like it was this big deal of transition from art being a little hobby while I was at home with my babies to no no I am officially an artist now and I've left teaching to be an artist and had to own it so yes 
But I do identify as being a teacher as well because I do my workshops and I'm teaching. So I guess it's a mixture of both. I can see that. I'd love to know what some of the biggest lessons in your life have been. Hmm. Well, I would say we've discussed it already, but that whole quote of a life without risk is a life half lived. And again, like if you don't try, if you don't take that leap, you'll never know. Obviously, also, this is all things that we've we've already discussed, but being completely yourself. And yep. if people don't like who you are, then that's fine. But or yeah, I'm not trying to be anybody else. I'm not trying to impress anyone. I am me, and yeah, I don't want to spend any of my life performing or trying to impress anybody for any other reason. It's just just be yourself. So I've learned that over time because I, I have changed multiple times throughout my life, as most people do. And mm. I've got to an age where it's like, this is me, take it or leave it. Mm. That was going to be my next question, whether or not you have always felt drawn to be authentic or whether that is something that you've realised just makes you happier. The second one, it makes me happier. Mm. I feel like I'm not trying to meet other people's expectations. Yeah, you know, I, I for ages tried to sort of follow along with trends and fashion even. And now I yep. guess to a certain extent I do, but I, I kind of have my own fashion going on. If it's colourful <laughs> and it's comfortable, that's yeah. pretty much what I wear. It's funny. Like I'm a non, I'm really, really not competitive at all. Like mm. I've never understood competition. Mm. I don't like it. And at school I was always told, well, where's your drive? Mm. You need to be competitive. You need to see that. And and it's never felt natural for me and every competition for me felt like I was mm. taking away from someone else. Like I just wanted yeah. to be able to be happy for someone and then be happy for myself and not feel the need to always, well, who's better, who's this, who's that. And for some people that com- competition mm. I think is really motivating. But for me I was shamed mm. for not feeling competitive because why are you not competitive? And I've realised that, that yeah. that's just who I am and to, Im- yeah. and to be okay with that has taken me a long time. Because it was seen mm. as, well, you're not driven, mm. you're not motivated, you're not. My, yeah. But I think I am those things. I'm just not doing it yeah. the way you want me to. And I think it does come with age and experience to go, that's okay to do it my yeah. way. And it sounds like you were being compared. And if you, if you yeah. want to. Oh, and which I hate. Yeah. I mean, if you want to compare, there's no two people in the world that are exactly the same. So, yes. yeah, I think the sooner you figure out, who you are and be confident and own that, the better. But, I mean, that's easier said than done. If you could go and talk to your teenage self, I'm definitely a different no. person to, to what I was, you know, in year seven. But yes, it's all part of the life journey and growing and I'm sure I'll be a, a different person again in another 20 years from now. And there's a part of me too that's really glad I didn't have the opportunity to document everything online mm-hmm. when I was mm-hmm. a teen. <laughs> Because I imagine thinking and looking back, even some of my really early Facebook things when I was in my 20s, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. why did I post that? <laughs> yeah. Why did yeah. you know the, that? The memories come up. The memories come up sometimes. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think I'll delete that one now. <laughs> it was from eight years ago and I don't know why I wrote it. And yeah. um, that was strange. So yeah. it's not too late to delete <laughs> those things. And yeah, that's it. I, I do worry about some of that stuff like when when you're in the spotlight and even if I were to look back at some mm. of my Instagram posts or whatever and you know you grow and you learn along the way and 
sure I'd probably do things differently in, in some areas and some yeah. ways, but it's, yeah, it's part of the journey. It is. The last question I'd like to ask you is, as a teacher and a parent, what are your hopes for education in the future? Mm, another doozy, another really big one. Yeah. So I would hope that students or my children are being prepared for a very rapidly changing world, which is very broad. Yeah. And No, but I agree. Yep. I think they need to, I mean, you can only prepare them so much, but we've got to prepare them for, for jobs that don't exist right now. And, you know, it's just changing so quickly. And also mm. when I think of my boys and what I hope for them and what I want them to be like is I'd love for them to be well-rounded and resilient because I think they're going to need to be mm. That's mm. pretty much in a nutshell. So just however we can do that, that's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> If you could just uh, whack that out, that'd be great. (laughs) I'm not going to give you the how, Laura. Just uh, just figure that out, please. (laughs) That's your job. Yeah. I paint the painting. It's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. You can make the world look pretty. (laughs) No, obviously um, the the answer I just gave I think is equally, if not more, up to the parents as well. It's not just a teacher's Mm -hmm. role. But, yeah. yeah, I think it's a, a partnership between teachers and parents and other influences in children's life, whether it be sports coaches or, you know, community yeah. leaders of some sort. But, yeah, to prepare these children for a future of the unknown, if mm. we look back when we were in primary school, there's no way you could predict the things that we're seeing no. and doing right now, especially when it comes to technology. and Yes. I'm, I'm looking at the positive kind of things, but then there's, you know, I won't go down the track of bullying and online bullying. Like there's just mm. a whole minefield out there, but just to prepare yeah. them, I think, and that's my, I just want to protect my little boy, my innocent boys and, and have them ready for whatever's going to come. What I love about that answer is that idea of collaboration and community, mm. the fact that it's not like, well, this is the parent's job and this is the teacher's job and this is society's job. I love the fact that you make the comment about maybe there needs to be much more infiltration between yeah. where everybody's equally invested and there's much more communication. I think primary school's better at yeah. this, and I've, I've said this on the podcast before, about having that, that community element for the children mm. yeah. and for the students, whereas you get to high school and things become much more separate. Yes. But I think the conversation, the collaboration, if we can get back to that, would be really positive moving forward too. Mm, mm, and it's a team. It's a team effort. And, you know, it takes a village. It's a well-known saying and it's true. Yeah. We're all, we've all got to bring these children up to be the next generation of amazing humans. It's not up yes. to one person or one group of people. So that would be that's my hope for education in the yeah. future, but for, in general for the future. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much, Deb. I hope that it wasn't too nerve-wracking in the end. No, it was good. It was good. You made me relax. I had my cup of tea. So that was um, was fun. Thank you for having me. 